Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Nessair Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports, episode number 164. I'm your host, Nicholas Donotic. Hope you all had a wonderful month of February into March, a nice little reprieve as we push into the NFL offseason. This is our first episode of our 2023-2024 season, season 7, I believe, if my math is right. Um... Hope you all are excited. Have you been watching the XFL? Let me know. Have you been locking in on some March Madness, World Baseball Classic? There were big games this past weekend. Um, and the finals tomorrow. Let me know what you guys think of that. Either way, if you're not interested in any of that, thanks for joining us today to talk some NFL offseason. And we're going to start this episode like we do all the others with my standout seven. Obviously, with the asterisk of it's going to be abbreviated, it's going to be structured a little differently because we are in the offseason. But we're going to start right away with some of that structure business. We're going to go number one off the rip into free agent recap mode. Now, I've organized a little bit of a winners and losers of sorts for teams, for players, for certain deals. I think the quickest way we might be able to do this, I've jotted down, and there is a whole healthy heaping of action that we've seen in this offseason. We'll go rapid fire through some of it, but first, let's do... The winners and losers, as I said. I've got a couple of winners with some asterisks. So, I've got both the New York teams here, technically speaking, as winners. And I'm not certain that I really should, if I'm being completely honest with you. I think the Daniel Jones contract is not exactly team-friendly. Additionally, I mean, talking about Saquon Barkley, I'm a big Saquon Barkley guy throwing the franchise tag on him, and he's going to wind up with the same salary as a guy like Josh Jacobs. I think Josh Jacobs had a better year than him. Um, Could potentially have gotten some more production at that position with a younger player in the draft this year, supposedly a pretty good running back draft. But that's neither here nor there. Barkley coming back, Jones coming back, the Giants bringing in Darren Waller. Pretty good move. Swapping the pick they got for Kadarius Toney for Darren Waller, essentially meaning they got him for free. That is a late-in-the-round, third-round pick, I believe, which is really like an early four. I like the acquisition. Um, I thought the Giants might go Mike Gesicki. Gesicki winds up going to New England. I think that's pretty good for them. They moved on from Jonu Smith. They dealt him. It didn't really work out for Jonu Smith up there um, in New England, which is unfortunate. I think he's a pretty talented player, and he showed that in Tennessee. It just never came together, so to speak. Either way, I've got the Giants very quickly on one of my winners of the offseason thus far. We'll see how the draft goes and things like that. And in terms of length, in case you're wondering, I'm not really trying to speed through here, but considering the normal format, we have regular season, there's full breakdown of what we saw from the last week, and then predictions and analysis. I use that word lightly. Um, Here in the offseason, what is there to predict? You want me to forecast you a mock draft? I could do it, but... There's 15,000 other analysts online who've done so. And you know what? I will gladly let them have that niche. Um, We'll keep it overview, and we'll talk a little predictive stuff for the remaining free agents still. So another winner, as I mentioned, the New York Jets, but they are with a bigger asterisk. Uh, Giants, I wouldn't say is an asterisk. It's a little little asterisk because of the Daniel Jones contract, but you keep your quarterback, you keep your running back, you get a tight end. All right, fair enough. Uh, And they didn't lose members of their coaching staff, that it was wondering at some point they might lose an OC, they might lose a DC. 
they lose Davis Webb as a third-string QB going to be a coach somewhere. That's not really the end of the world. New York Jets obviously are big asterisks because, as of recording this episode on March the 20th, the New York Jets have not completed the deal to acquire Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers says publicly, via the Pat McAfee show, as I'm sure you're all aware, that the holdup is on the Packers' end. That they're trying to squeeze every bit of compensation out of the New York Jets that they can. Do I blame? Here's the thing. Let's take this big picture here. Do I blame the Packers for trying to get as much compensation as possible for their future Hall of Fame quarterback as they move into a new era, which may be Jordan Love? It might not work. You never know, right? No, I don't blame them. Do I blame Aaron Rodgers for, reportedly, having a wish list for his new team? No. Do I blame Aaron Rodgers for denying having that wish list? No. So I I don't really think any of the parties are in the wrong here. Do I blame the the New York Jets for trying to make sure this all goes smoothly by signing Alan Lazard and inevitably, potentially, bringing in Randall Cobb and trying to potentially bring in OBJ if that's what their new QB wants for the next two or three years? No, I don't blame them either. So uh, I don't really have anyone in the wrong here, which is rare for me. Not trying to be negative Nancy, but usually, I mean, can't, can't have all winners, right? That's not how that works. But, uh, yeah, I would say the New York Jets have to be a presumptive winner if they're upgrading a quarterback from Mike White slash Zach Wilson slash Joe Flacco to, albeit an aging, Aaron Rodgers. He's still Aaron Rodgers. He's still pretty darn talented. And now it seems, from that same Pat McAfee interview, that he's got a chip on his shoulder. And an aging veteran QB with a chip on his shoulder is what they had with Favre until Favre got beat up. They were a pretty darn good team that year. Um, Let's see where he can take them. Granted, I would say the division is harder now than it was back then. They had Tom Brady in the way back then, I understand that, but now Josh Allen and the Bills are quite good. The Miami Dolphins with Tua, presumably healthy, hopefully for Dolphin fans, out there on the field and being protected from both himself and opposing teams hitting him in the head. Um, Should be a pretty darn good team. New England, not great, but not awful either. Moving into other winners. I have a a spicy take here for the number one pick. So, when I saw the trade announced, I was disappointed. Because if you listen to the last episode, which was just after the Super Bowl, if not, I'll fill you in. I was completely on board with them trying the Madden football approach of, we're going to trade from one to two, and then we're going to trade from two to five, or two to wherever, and then maybe we'll pick our guy, maybe we'll trade down again. And seeing as how the prevailing rumor is that Carolina has traded up to get C.J. Stroud, it's possible that we could have got some shenanigans, right? They could have traded down to two, convinced the, convinced the team that, oh, well, you know, Carolina's a big big fish, and then Carolina would still be in for that second or third pick because Stroud, in all likelihood, was not going to go number one. To my understanding, having seen mock draft on mock draft on mock draft, maybe they're expecting him to have a tremendous pro day, Maybe he interviewed really well. There's a litany of things that could go into it, but uh, maybe they're not not exactly happy with Bryce Young's measurables, which I've seen are very, very comparable to Kyler Murray, who's obviously been mocked here and there uh, via the interweb on his height and things like that. But that's not really an issue. Either way, I'm coming out in the positive on this for a couple reasons. Let's start with Chicago. 
Chicago getting the ninth pick, 61, a first round next year, a second round the year after, and DJ Moore, who's a pretty talented wide receiver for their young quarterback, Justin Fields. That's a big W. That's a big W for Chicago. I thought there might be a double trade brewing, like I said, but no. That is a big W for the Chicago Bears, right? Now, where we are looking in terms of... Also, i got to put this on the list. Justin Fields, huge W for him. There were murmurings that Chicago might go quarterback. They might make a competition. They might trade Justin. Operating under the assumption that Justin is happy in Chicago, which I'm pulling out of thin air, it's a W for him. They get a receiver. They get some more picks to build around him. And they show that, hey, we do want to build around you. We think you're a pretty darn talented QB. Good for you, Justin Fields. Good for the Bears. Uh, Like I said, you can't have the pie in the sky every time. The reason I have Carolina on my W list as well is, at the end of the day, if Carolina is enthralled at the idea of picking C.J. Stroud, then they didn't necessarily pay the Kings' ransom, right? They gave up a lot, but they give up two ones, they give up two twos, and a receiver. It's not the end of the world. You also look around at some of the moves they made. They bring in Miles Sanders, which I think is a good acquisition. Is Sanders going to be as explosive, considering there's less talent around him than there was in Philly? No. But you got to build somewhere. It's a good piece. They got rid of Christian McCaffrey, the most dynamic running back they've had probably in team history. you got to do something to replace him. Bringing in Miles Sanders is a start. It's hard for me to knock this trade in anticipation, right? If they go out and completely shock everyone and draft, I don't know, Will Levis number one, which is possible, you never know, or they draft the kid out of TCU, the QB number one, and you go, okay, what is going on? Maybe we'll come back and knock it, but as is right now, I think it's a W. I truly do. Winners of the offseason thus far. Also, I mentioned other winners. Daniel Jones, totally a winner of this offseason. Gets to stay in this huge market, right? You could say, oh, the pressure of the contract. They paid him. There were rumors that he wanted 40 to 45, and they said, no, that's not true. That was leaked by my old agency. And then it came down to the wire, and he wound up getting 40. So that means those rumors, as far as I'm concerned, were all but substantiated by the actual contract he gets. Maybe he was sitting at 45. Maybe he was sitting at 42. Maybe they moved up at the last second because they needed to get it done so they could franchise tag Saquon Barkley. We'll never know the answer, but it's a W for him because, I mean, come on. Lamar Jackson is struggling out here to get his contract done. Daniel Jones gets $40 million a year. Are you joking? Big W for him. Another W on the player end, Derek Carr. Four years of buck fifty for Derek Carr? I mean, okay. I guess that's the quarterback price nowadays. If Jones is getting four one sixty, would you make the argument that Carr is comparable? Probably. Um, Carr's peak in the season where he got hurt and then the Raiders fell off the rails. He was an MVP candidate. I don't think you can make any argument similar to that for Daniel Jones. I I highly doubt through the life of his current contract he will be any semblance of an MVP candidate. So, here we are. Um, Yeah, Derek Carr, W for you in New Orleans. Would I give the W to New Orleans? Probably not. Probably not. We'll talk Lamar Jackson later, but i if you're going to spend big, I mean, come on. What are we doing? Losers. Losers, losers, losers. 
Uh, Green Bay with an asterisk. Because, and this is this is corny, I'll give you that. I don't know what they have in Jordan Love, and I don't know what they're going to get from the Jets for Aaron Rodgers. It is simply an L based on the timing of this episode. Right? We're monthly in the offseason, and just so happens the deal hasn't been completed. Now, you can look around and say, well, they lost Lazard. That's also an L. Um, yeah, I mean, you lose your best receiver. You lose your best QB. You're moving to a guy that's unproven. Aaron Jones is kind of going to have to tote a, tote a big toll in this offense. Him and uh, Dylan in the backfield, A.J. Dillon, which is what I thought they'd do last year, but here we are. Um, yeah, I, I'd put the Packers on this list. And it, it's also going to be some pressure on that coaching staff because, I mean, I don't know. When you're coaching and you have Aaron Rodgers, it's easier, so to speak, if you have a star quarterback, right? Look at Mike McCarthy. It's looking great down there in Dallas. Playoff team, but uh, they don't exactly hire you down there just to be a playoff team. Other losers that I have on this list. Speaking of Mike McCarthy, by the way, let's flip it to the player side. I have Zeke Elliott on here. I think Zeke Elliott, you know, I mean, his production has ticked down. I think his ability has ticked down which is why his production is ticked down. Additionally, it became clear that Pollard's just a better back than he is. You know what I mean? As presently constituted. Now, obviously, Pollard had the injury, and he's franchise tagged, and we'll see how he comes back from the injury. But as is, if they were both healthy, I'd definitely rather have Pollard, which is unfortunate uh, for the situation that it puts Zeke in, who's, you know, been one of the faces of the Dallas Cowboys for the last handful of years here. Um, where is he going to wind up? That's a good question. I think he's still got some tread on the tires. I don't think it's a complete DeMarco Murray to Philly situation where DeMarco Murray was just kind of not great at all. Um, who knows? Maybe this motivates Zeke even more. And it, if it was a work ethic thing, which I'm not saying it was, this would probably put some pep in his step. But I, I don't think it was a work ethic thing. I think it was I carried the ball a lot and I helped carry this team and now I'm just I'm just getting older, you know. Definitely have to give him the L though, because I don't know where he's gonna wind up. However, I would say it's gonna be on a significant pay cut, obviously. Keeping it in the players front, I have Josh Jacobs, and uh it had nothing to do with Josh. The fact of the matter is Josh Jacobs off of the best season of his career, found himself in a spot where he was franchise taggable and he was franchise tagged. And I'm not super high on where the Raiders are going in the Garoppolo era. Um, I probably should have put the Raiders on this losers of the offseason thus far list, if I'm being completely honest with you. Because um, they don't get Rodgers, and it didn't seem that they pushed very hard for Rodgers. They're very content with Garoppolo, and I don't know why. They move on from Waller, I get it. Big contract. He's been injured, I understand. But I think the Rodgers thing made too much sense. I don't know. And then if it didn't work out, start over. You know what I mean? It is what it is. But either way, Josh Jacobs, I feel bad for him. It seems that he's not exactly happy. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but, you know, when you see the news breaking of the Darren Waller trade, I think he had a tweet that showed he was uh, not exactly ecstatic with the idea of the team trading their starting tight end for picks. When, presumably, I'd, I'd think when they were negotiating with him, they said, well, we're going to compete. Well, you don't trade starters, usually, uh, unless you're getting commensurate talent back. Uh, let's see what they do with those draft picks. Sorry for you, Josh. Um, just the way that it is. And the same thing with Zeke Elliott, by the way. 
I'm not saying these guys are the reason they're on this losers list, but it's just the way it is. Um, back to the team front, though. I've got Tampa Bay on here by way of losing Tom Brady, and right now they haven't really moved into replacing him. I believe it's going to be a painful year or two for the Tampa Bay, not Toms anymore, which it is what it is. It happens. No no team's window is forever, especially when you have an aging QB. I thought they'd be in the Rodgers market. That was not a thing. I thought they might be in the car market. That was not a thing. Who knows? Maybe they were in the Daniel Jones market, which wasn't allowed to materialize because he signed in advance. Um, they brought in, I believe, Baker Mayfield. I'm a Baker guy. I think Baker's still got a chance to be a decent player in this league. However, you're replacing a Hall of Fame QB on a former title contending team with Baker Mayfield, who's trying to get his career together. Right? Let's be frank. So, I got them on this list. Even though they brought back Levante David... Even though they've retained some talent, I don't think they're going to be that great. We'll see if Baker bounces back. If he bounces back, they could be really good. There's still some talent on that team, but no. I've also got Tennessee on here. I don't know what Tennessee is going to look like next year. Um, Ryan Tannehill currently under contract? I don't know. Restructure or release is the headline here from a couple weeks ago about Ryan Tannehill. Um, I was under the impression they might be moving on from him. Evidently, that's not the case. I don't know. Um, there were rumors that they were going to trade Derrick Henry. I thought that that was quite interesting because at the time, Saquon Barkley was still unsigned with the New York Giants. I thought that would be an interesting pivot for Joe Shane and the New York Giants front office and their coaching staff, if they're being honest. I mean... They're two completely different stylistic running backs. And for the New York sports talk people that complain for years and years that Barkley won't go north and south, he won't just go north and south. Okay, well, there's your north and south, Derrick Henry, right? Out there, but evidently not going to be a thing. It'd be kind of weird to blow it up because Vrabel's a good coach. Derrick Henry's a great player, still relatively in the prime. Um, they need to build up that offense to be more than just Derrick, I think. I'm not saying they're awful, but you look at what they did with their passing game in the last offseason, not much. They let it fall by the wayside, and it didn't take a rocket scientist to realize that they weren't the strongest team in that division. Jacksonville comes out of nowhere, and they're better than them, right? He's giving away games. Like, it's a weak division. It's very gettable. Just have to make a handful of moves, I'd imagine. And they can piece that one together. But until they make those moves, I've got them on the losers list. Now, the final person, and it is a player, on my losers list here is an interesting one, and it realistically should be its own topic, but we'll keep it in number one, a bloated number one. It's Lamar Jackson, because I don't know how it's come to this with the Baltimore Ravens, and I'm not blaming it all on Lamar, I'm not blaming it all on the team, if I'm being frank. It is an inability to come together on a deal, and this has been over a year of negotiating, and I mean, we're not negotiating, like, an armistice to end a war here, guys. We're talking about an NFL quarterback. You want him to play for you, he wants to play for you and make money. Like, it's it's not that complicated, guys, you'd think. But here we are, uh, pushing into year two on the Western front, so to speak. But what are you going to do? There's the report that Lamar Jackson turned down four years, 133 guaranteed. 
And then he said, well, I don't need no agent if I'm getting that. And it's like, all right, well, I mean, you're not necessarily wrong. However, the people dunking on you saying, well, you don't have an agent, you turned that down, and you are unsigned, is true, right? It's more than just the numbers, and I'm not saying Lamar Jackson doesn't understand this, by the way. I'm not trying to insinuate that in any way. I'm just saying from an outside perspective, which is the media perspective we have. I use the term media loosely. I'm sitting in my house right now recording this. But from a media perspective, or even a fan perspective, you can understand, okay, well, Deshaun Watson got X, Kyler Murray got Y, Patty Mahomes got Z. I think I'm better than him. I'm not as good as him, but I have an MVP. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. But it, if it were so simple, no one would ever hire an agent, right? You hire the agent, oh, well, get me some sponsorship deals and such. Yeah, but there's also contractual stuff to be handled. And when you are a former MVP who has not played in the most meaningful games of his team's season the last two years, you got to recognize that's going to hurt your leverage come negotiating time, right? So perhaps... Particularly now, as he was given the non-exclusive tender, right? So they can a team can make him an offer, and then Baltimore would have the chance to match and or allow him to leave and get two first-round picks. That is my understanding of that tender. If I'm wrong, correct me. Comment section, social media, you know the deal. At Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Um, yeah. Why, why, why are there situations where we immediately have teams like Atlanta, I think Atlanta's fairly far away from being as Super Bowl contender, right? I'd say that outright. Carolina, I think Carolina's closer, right? Teams like that saying we're not in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes, which is fascinating to me. Fascinating. Because I'm not going to get into the whole collusion argument here, right? Because if groups of people are all looking at the same statistics the same probabilities, and the same facts, it's not unheard of for them to come to the same conclusion. Now, am I insinuating that if 31 teams refused to negotiate with them, I'd say, yeah, we, we might have some collusion here. You talk about like a Kaepernick situation where it's like, okay, this is clearly there may have been some discussion in the back room, so to speak, right? But these are two completely different conversations. Excuse me. The situation we're in right now is like the Atlanta one's interesting to me, but like I said, Atlanta signs Lamar Jackson. They got to give up two first round picks. They got to pay him a boatload of money and they're still not going to be good enough. That's my opinion of the Atlanta Falcons. If Carolina does it, you can make the argument with Tampa Bay being weak, New Orleans being an, I don't know. Um, who else is in that division? And, yeah, just then them. Tampa Bay being weak, New Orleans being an I don't know, and the aforementioned Atlanta Falcons, sorry. Uh, it'd be a winnable division. However, you put Lamar Jackson in Carolina, are they a Super Bowl contender? Are they better than Philly as presently constituted? I would say no. Granted, I look, I have Philly as a mild loser of this offseason too. They lose Miles Sanders, they lose both of their coordinators. They lose Hargrave on the D-line. They lose C.J. Gardner-Johnson on a, a little BS little deal to Detroit. A one-year deal, really. Um, they get Bradbury back. I think they paid a decent amount. 
They cut Slay, then they brought Slay back. All right, fair enough. Keeping Slay's a good move. Um, and look, Bradbury paid well for them, but I saw Bradbury play well his first year with the Giants, and then it kind of fell apart. You know what I mean? Neither here nor there. Maybe he's great on prove-it years, but either way, back to the Lamar Jackson thing. Would Carolina, they just gave up two first-round picks for, let's say, C.J. Stroud for argument's sake, right? The thing about C.J. Stroud is, since he's going to be on a rookie deal, it allows them to spend elsewhere, right? And build up a team that was fringe playoff contention in a weak, weak, weak division this past season. Okay? Makes sense. If they were to trade those two picks, let's just say they they inked a deal with Lamar Jackson five years. Throw a number at me, fans. Folks, what do you think, Baltimore fan? $225 million, right? Whatever. Five years, 250 Who cares? It's pretend money we're playing with anyway. If they inked that, they would now have to dedicate a large portion of their salary cap to that player, who may or may not get them over the hump in their division, in their conference, but they'd also be forfeiting two years of first-round picks. This first year, obviously, they leveraged at nine to move up to one. Additionally, they would be giving up next year's pick, which, let's be honest, may be another top 10 pick. Might be 12, might be 15. Maybe they make the playoffs and it's 18 or 25. Miracle run and it's 31, right? It's just something they weren't willing to give up. You're giving up money and you're giving up draft capital. In this situation, they give up draft capital and a player in exchange for a QB who they believe is very talented, presumably, whoever they draft, uh, and on a rookie contract, which is high value to them because it's production per dollar, uh, a more savvy deal, right? The interesting one for me is a team like the New York Jets, right? Because we're going to have to see what the Jets give up for Rodgers. Is it going to be two ones? I, I don't I don't think so. It might be. But put it this way, if they're going to give up two ones for Rodgers and just go trade for Jackson, right? Uh, especially considering their offense, the fact that they were not adept at throwing the football last year, bringing in a scrambling, more mobile quarterback would probably fit better than an aging Aaron Rodgers, but here they are in a situation where they bring in a coach in Nathaniel Hackett who's worked with Rodgers. They bring in Lazard who's played with Rodgers. They're all in on keeping Rodgers in green and dropping the yellow, but not Lamar. Back to the point from forever ago, right? Not having an agent can hurt you in certain circumstances. Someone who can try and wet the, the uh, palate, if you will. Or try and engage another team in a trade. Or try and engage a team that may not have been interested. I've been thinking up and down, maybe, just because it'd be funny, about Lamar Jackson in Pittsburgh. I'm a Kenny Pickett guy. I like Kenny Pickett. liked him out of college. I liked here and there what we saw from him last year. However, Lamar Jackson currently is already better than Kenny Pickett. Does Kenny have a better ceiling? Who knows? We'll find out. But on top of the fact that it's a very Yankees-Red Sox move, Oh, I'm making my rival weaker, and I'm making me stronger? Let's do it, right? I don't think Pittsburgh would do it. I don't think that's the way they operate, but looking around in that division, Cleveland's got a QB. Cincinnati's got a QB. Well, why doesn't Pittsburgh jump in? What about a situation like Tennessee? I don't believe Tennessee would have the cap space, if we're being frank. Um, but who knows? Let's try and make as much finagling as possible. Tennessee currently sitting at $11 million per spot rack. Anyway, 
Moving into some of the other free agent signings we didn't talk about. Um, we've got, as we mentioned, Hargrave leaving Philly for San Francisco. Good get for San Francisco, bolstering the D-line. Uh, Bobby Okereke, I've called him Okereke before. But Okereke, I believe, is the proper pronunciation. My apologies. Leaving Indy for the New York Giants. Giants have needed a linebacker for, well, forever, pretty much. So, good signing. He'll pitch in. Uh, Patrick Peterson going to Pittsburgh, joining the Steelers secondary. Let's see how much is left here in the tail end of his career. Could be a contributor. Veteran in the secondary room. Tremaine Edmonds of Buffalo going to Chicago. Good move for the Chicago Bears. Obviously, they moved on from Roquan Smith. Got a big hole to fill. Edmonds, good piece to fill that hole. Matt Ryan, released from the Indianapolis Colts. I tend to think he'll catch on somewhere as a backup, but I guess we'll find out, right? Um, I think he's got... I mean, if Joe Flacco can stick around as a veteran backup QB to come in and be mediocre sometimes, I think Matt Ryan can do it as well. It's a matter of if Matt is willing or want wants to be a backup QB. Jamal Williams of Detroit Lions touchdown fame to New Orleans. Pretty good get. I mean, Kamara's still going to be the lead back in that backfield, but bringing Jamal in there, I think he's used to splitting some time Obviously, he was doing it in Detroit. He did it in Green Bay, so why not throw him in there? Decent get to go with the new new look New Orleans offense. Um, Kansas City, Orlando Brown, their former left tackle, leaves to go to Cincinnati. They replaced him with a new left tackle. The name escapes me. Apologies. Um, Robert Tunyon, formerly of the Packers, goes to the Bears. Mike Gesicki, we mentioned before, to New England. Juju Smith-Schuster to New England. I believe Jacoby Myers which is the coordinating move here. Jacoby Myers on the way out. I believe he went to the Raiders, which is interesting because we talked about the whole, the fail lateral in Vegas, right? He was the guy, and now he winds up playing for his old OC, who is the coach of that team. Things that make you go, hmm. Gardner Minshew to the Indianapolis Colts. Okay. You know, he'll compete slash be a backup. I assume they'll be drafting a QB. Marcus Mariota to Philly to be the backup for Jalen Hurts. Once upon a time, that was the dream for the Chip Kelly Eagles. Well, the world has a funny way of doing things, and here he is finally wearing Eagles green. Uh, Dalton Schultz, oddly enough, I saw earlier, one-year deal to Houston, kind of a prove-it. Pretty good player. I'm surprised that, I mean, with Miami having the hole with Gesicki leaving, Schultz felt like an option for them, but Houston, decent get. Decent get. And then we have Adam Thielen to the Carolina Panthers on a three-year deal. I think Thielen's got a decent amount left in the tank. Is he a number one wideout? Not anymore, but he's got that veteran, you know what I mean? His game doesn't really rely on athleticism. He's got good hands. He's got pretty good route running. If he can stay healthy, he'll stick around for a little bit here. Um, on the trade market here, two big ones for Dallas. Brandon Cook's leaving Houston for the Dallas Cowboys. Decent get. You know, speedy wideout out there for Dak. Is it really what the team needed? Perhaps, perhaps not. I don't know. Um, with Zeke leaving and with Pollard rehabbing from an injury, maybe they'll be more pass-heavy in the early season. We'll find out. Stephon Gilmore being dealt the Dallas Cowboys. That was a good one. That was, I believe, the same day or the day after the Darren Waller trade. When a team in your division makes a trade for a big playmaker, what do you do? Let's go get somebody who can stop them, right? I like that move for the Cowboys. An aging Gilmore, but still a talented player. 
Uh, speaking of aging but still talented, Jalen Ramsey being dealt to Miami. Big get for them. Help that defense go alongside Xavier Howard. And, uh, I mean, that man, that is a tough, that is a gauntlet of a division. It really is. Now, is Ramsey what he was a few years ago? I wouldn't say so, but he's still a pretty darn good player. We'll see what he can do. He doesn't have to be their number one corner, which will definitely help. And uh, let's see how he pitches in out there on a Miami team that had one of the weirder seasons they've had in a long time due to the injuries to Tua Tungavailoa. And another one, while we're on the extension front here, or contract news, Roger Goodell reportedly in this ongoing week has been negotiating an extension. The rumor is it's about a three-year extension. It's not finalized. It's not announced. We'll see. I mean, love or hate Roger Goodell for some of the things with suspending players and things like that. The about-face the league has done in the last handful of years due to the... I wouldn't say the discovery of the injuries, right? And that's part of the uh, the dialogue. It's the publicization, right? Or the overabundance of head injuries and us realizing with CTE and things like that that this is a long-lasting impact that players are having just for what? To to win, a, win their team a game, to make some money, to make some highlights, to help promote the league and grow the league. Like, let's be realistic here, folks. Health is all you got. You only get one bite at this apple, right? Um, he's kind of helped shepherd the league through that. It's been a rocky transition. But at the end of the day, also, it's a business, and business is booming for the NFL. And I think that the owners, if we're being honest here, do enjoy that he can be the face and he can take the brunt of the criticism as the figurehead, so to speak, even though realistically he's working for them, right? They'll let people rip him and call for a new commissioner, a new this, new that, when in actuality he's just doing the job, right? So I understand that. Congratulations to Roger Goodell if and when that does come through in the next handful of days here. Um, so that was an extended number one in the standout seven. Moving into number two. Yeah, there's there's two in here. Uh, top remaining free agents, potential fits. We're going to try and speed run it a little bit. Bobby Wagner. I mean, Bobby Wagner's getting a little old, right? He's still a talented linebacker, I would say, but the athleticism's coming down, if I'm being honest. Um, good player. Playoff experience. I see him probably signing with a playoff team or a team that is contending, right? What team's a good fit? Anybody that needs a linebacker, if I'm being honest. Um, Odell Beckham, the rumor is Aaron Rodgers had him on the wish list, so you'd assume the Jets would be one of those. Um, if not at the forefront, there was a rumor that someone offered him $4 million. That's what he said, and he's like, I'm not taking $4 million. I'm not asking for 20 but I'm not taking 4 Interesting. Uh, reportedly, at one point, he tweeted to Saquon Barkley, tell him, call Joe, as in Joe Shane, right? Let's see what happens. Maybe a Giants reunion on the mend. Uh, further down the list here, Marcus Peters. Always been a playmaker. Always probably will be a playmaker of Baltimore Ravens and Kansas City Chiefs fame. Good player. Uh, DJ Chark. Pretty good player as well. Edge rushers in Yannick Ngakwe and Leonard Floyd. Aging edge rushers in Melvin Ingram and Justin Houston. By the way, this is from the top 100 remaining best free agents from Pro Football Focus. I'm not putting numbers on it, but just going down their list. Taylor Lewan, former Pro Bowl offensive lineman. Could be a good ad. We'll see where that goes. Uh, Donovan Smith, pretty good player. Zeke Elliott down here on the list as well. Um, 
point being, there's still quite a bit of talent in the veteran side of free agency. You've got Jarvis Landry, Julio Jones, Kareem Hunt, guys that can and probably will contribute to good to great teams. But they're sitting down here waiting for their bite at the apple. Keep your eye out. Keep your ear out. You might not see something until after the draft, if we're being honest. Perhaps a team is looking for a wide receiver. They get jumped over. All of a sudden, like, you know what? We couldn't get the guy we wanted. We don't like this next guy in this position. We'll pass on the receiver. We'll go sign a Julio Jones. See what he's got left in there. Do I think Julio would be that guy? Maybe not. But talented. If he can stay on the field, maybe he'll give you some prime Julio two or three times. I don't know. I don't know if that's still in there. Perhaps not the best example, but you get where I'm going. Um, Into number three in the standout seven. Let's take a look at the latest mock draft. We love to move around with these. We're going Pro Football Network. Yeah, why not? Uh, Number one right now, C.J. Stroud on their list. Um, This article written by Ian Cummings, by the way. Cummings says that he believes the best fit for Frank Reich's offense would be C.J. Stroud. Fair enough. Texans going Bryce Young at two. Interesting. Makes sense to me. Will Anderson, the edge rusher who may be the best player in the draft, dropping to Arizona at three. The Indianapolis Colts taking Anthony Richardson at four. That could be spicy. I wouldn't be shocked for a potential trade-up to three. Right? It wouldn't shock me if somebody tried to leapfrog Indy to get Anthony Richardson, or maybe even a trade-up to two. I don't know. We'll see. Something like... Houston trading back with Indy. I don't think you'd see that in the same division, but who knows? We're all assuming this Rodgers thing is going to get done, and I believe it will. However, crazier things have happened. Number five, Seattle taking Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. Number six, the Detroit Lions taking Will Levis out of Kentucky. Number seven, the Raiders going offensive lineman Paris Johnson Jr., Number eight, Christian Gonzalez, corner out of Oregon. This is an interesting one in me, for me rather, because I've seen some of the mocks saying Christian Gonzalez is not the best corner in this draft. Um, so him going all the way up in the top ten here would be kind of interesting to me, especially considering, wow, he's got Jalen Carter, who was formerly number one on all the boards until we had a report that he was potentially in a race with someone who crashed their car and there was a fatal accident. I don't believe he's being charged with manslaughter or anything felonious. I believe that's a word. Uh, anything of that sort, but he's dropping all the way to 11 here. All right. In this mock draft, Seahawks trading up to 11 to take him. I mean, I don't think he falls out of the first round. I think it's similar to the Laramie Tunsil situation, though I hesitate to put Laramie Tunsil in this same spot. Laramie Tunsil was in a gas mask smoking weed, which is legal in a majority of states now, I think. And this was a fatal accident that Carter was involved in, and I believe at one point had lied to the authorities about, for obvious reasons, but still did so. So they have him dropping here. Um, first receiver off the board would be Jackson Smith and Najigba. Najiba? I've heard Najigba. I don't... That can't be right. It's got to be Najiba. Either way, not the fastest or most explosive receiver, but he's a true technician as a route runner, per Ian Cummings, as I said. Uh, to Houston... I can see Houston going wide receiver. It makes sense. I can see them going QB the first pick, wide out the second pick. That makes sense to me as well. Um, yeah. So I was all in on the double trade. I'll be honest. I've said it a few times now. Interesting. We'll get into some draft analysis post-draft. As I've mentioned, 
ad nauseum. I'm not a huge college football guy, filthy casual when it comes to that, to use the phrase. Um, but at the end of the day, that's completely fine. We'll break it down. We'll see where the fits are. We'll see where the shocking trades come in when X team trades up for Y picks and yada, yada, yada. That'll be in our next episode after the NFL draft. A couple more things I wanted to get through here. Number four in the standout seven. I just wanted to touch on some injury. It's not quote unquote news, I would say, but it is some quotes that are a little concerning from two relatively well-known NFL players here um, and how it's kind of leads to changing the perception of how the NFL we talked about before, right? The Roger Goodell thing and how the NFL is valuing player health more and they're trying to do this, that, and the third. And then you see in the Super Bowl, everybody makes the joke, oh, they must have gave, you know, Patrick Mahomes X, you know, painkillers or this or or ketamine or whatever. And everybody's like, oh, ha, 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 ha. And then you see comments like Byron Jones made, right? Byron Jones detailing some injuries and some of the things he's had to deal with. Um, quote via Twitter. It was an honor and a privilege to play in the NFL, but it came at a regrettable cost I did not foresee. In my opinion, no amount of professional success or financial gain is worth avoidable chronic pain and disabilities. Godspeed to the class of 23. He went on. Or rather, I believe I made a paraphrase these. Uh, or not paraphrase, excuse me. Might have put the second tweet before the first. Much has changed in eight years. Today, I can't run or jump because of my injury sustained during the... Excuse me. Sustained playing this game. Do not take the pills they give you. Do not take the injections they give you. If you absolutely must, consult an outside doctor to learn the long-term implications. Around the same time, Michael Thomas, in a pair of since-deleted tweets... Uh, responded to a tweet about Eagle safety Chris Maragos, who was awarded uh, compensation in his lawsuit against doctors over a career-ending injury, said, quote, right decision, the NFL medical sucks, cheap and uneducated, their job requires barely any education or curriculum. He also added, well, at least the places I know. Um, now, I will say, first and foremost, this is speculation on my part. I have done no hard-hitting reporting here. I'm not going to break any news to you, right? The assumption is that Thomas is making the insinuation about the staff with the New Orleans Saints, and it has been kind of odd that he has missed really significant amounts of time, and maybe they've tried to rush him back from it, and he's not ready. Maybe they've described his injuries differently than he would have, but then again, he could have come forward. It's his body. Completely allowed to do so. Um... It's very interesting, and at the end of the day, you have to remember, if you're a prospective athlete, or if you're a fan, or if you're even in the league, and for some reason you find yourself listening to the show, first of all, thanks for tuning in. I really tend to agree with Byron Jones. I can understand that becoming a professional athlete puts you in a situation where you can make generational money. You can change not only your life, not only the life of your children, but the life of your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, the standing they have in this world, not just in their personal lives, not just in their schooling, you know, who knows, you might be the grandfather of a senator or a heart surgeon or whatever, because now you can afford to give them X education or live in Y neighborhood or do Z. However, if what Byron Jones is insinuating is 
even half true, which we've kind of seen with some aging athletes from the NFL and from other sports, you really are trading comfort and ease of life in certain regards for the possibility to do so, right? You're not guaranteed. Byron Jones has made some money. He's made pretty decent money, I would say, compared to somebody like me. But at the end of the day, if he's going to have to live with, as he said, chronic injuries and pain for the next four decades, right? Maybe he won't think it's worth it. Maybe he was speaking in a moment where he was frustrated, right? Um, Michael Thomas, perhaps, considering how the last few years have gone, would be in a similar situation of frustration, and realistically, maybe he's not the one to take as the the go-to source, right? But I do think it's very interesting. As I mentioned, as we've seen the NFL shift towards prioritizing, at least outwardly, the care for some of these athletes behind the scenes, perhaps there's not as much as we may think, or maybe not at the league level, but at the team level, the club level in certain locker rooms, the priority is still, well, get out there. We got some games to win. I don't know. I just wanted to bring that to you guys. I think it's interesting. I'm not trying to villainize the NFL or saying that they're doing completely wrong or they're completely throwing these athletes away. I'm not trying to go out there and and make the the allegories or the con- comparisons we've seen before that the the combine is the slave trade or things like that. I'm not going that far. I'm just saying that I find it interesting that two men who are presumably playing the game that they love, the thing that they wanted to do with their lives can look in the, you know, look at how their last few years have been or in Byron Jones's example a little bit longer than Michael Thomas, I would say, and say, you know what? Maybe it wasn't worth it. Interesting to me. I know we keep it between the lines here, but I thought this realistically was between the lines. Because we've seen some players in recent years, we saw it with Patrick Willis, right? Saw it with Andrew Luck, say, you know what? I, I'm beat up. I'm hurt. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know if it's a I don't love the game anymore or it's an I don't love this anymore. And look, I've never played in the NFL, never will. But as someone who went into a career that I believe, you know, if I had the chance to take it back, I wouldn't at this point. But I can understand people saying, you know, the age-old saying is, you do something you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. And that can be true. But, in addition, it can also rob you of that passion. Because it becomes a job. Right? Now, like I said, I gave you my perspective. I'm not trying to speak for anybody. But... Perhaps over the course of their careers, due to the injuries they've had to deal with, due to the way they've dealt with medical staffs in a potentially more combative manner than they envisioned, maybe it did become a job. Maybe it did become, they want me to get out there so they can use me, they don't care what happens to me. It's kind of interesting, and I I really, I'm not expecting anyone from the NFL media to get someone to go on the record that's still active to talk about this, but... If Michael Thomas is willing to go out there, at least in a lapse of judgment, I wonder if he wouldn't be able to be convinced or to point you in the direction of someone to discuss what's really going on. Like I said, not trying to paint the league in a bad light, not trying to paint the teams in a bad light, but when you have two relatively prominent figures in the league, and I'm not saying Byron Jones is Darrell Rivas, but he is a very talented NFL defensive player. He is far from the 51st man on the roster. Right? As was Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas still could be a star receiver in the next handful of years here. I don't think his career is over. 
Byron Jones, the way he was commenting, made it sound like he kind of thinks that it is. Right? Either way, here we are. I felt the need to throw that out there for you. In less serious news, right? Let's talk about some potential NFL rule changes. Here we are. NFL rule change proposals. These are a little bit old, but I wanted to break them down for you. Um, third quarterback rule. Teams would be able to carry an extra player on their roster, but the third, pl- the extra player would have to be a third QB. Uh, I think that's completely fine. Apparently, the NFL used to have a rule that you can carry a third QB, but it was scrapped in 2011. Obviously, the 49ers ran out of quarterbacks in the NFC, NFC title game. They had to have Brock Purdy out there handing off because he couldn't throw. I think no one would complain about this rule. It should pass unanimously, I hope. Uh, maybe they voted on it. I don't know. Either way. Uh, XFL rule proposal yet again that we are getting rid of the onside kick and instead you have to go 4th and 15 from your own 25 to convert. Um, I like this rule because the onside kick has been legislated out of football. Now, as of 10-15 years ago, it was already hard to pull off. Now, with the changes to the special teams you know, formation and the way they're allowed to run up and things like that, it's damn near impossible. We saw three converted onside kicks in the entire 22-23 season in 250-plus regular season games. That's ridiculous. No. It needs to be changed. Whether it's 4th and 15, it's 4th and 20, it's 4th and 25, I don't care. Um, what I would argue is, put the yardage in a situation where this is what we want the rate to be. We have data on everything nowadays, right? So if you want the conversion rate to be 10%, you find a down and distance that is a 10% conversion rate, and you set it and you roll. That's completely fine. Um, I think that's a logical way to approach these things. 4th and 15 may not be it. Like I said, it might not be at the 25. Maybe it'll be at the 20. Who cares, right? Realistically, it doesn't matter, as long as it's something that can be done. Not to mention, a Hail Mary is an exciting play. So if you put it far enough or a weird situation arises, people will be entertained by the concept of, oh, he's just got to throw it up. He can't take the sack. Yeah, it's much better. I like it. Is it aping off the XFL? Yeah, 100%. But who cares? Who cares in the slightest? The Rams proposed roughing the passer as reviewable. All roughing the passer calls. I'm completely fine with this as well. This is similar to the college football targeting sort of approach. Makes perfect sense to me. We've seen calls where 10 times out of 10, they'll show one replay and you're like, oh, what are they doing? And we've seen calls before where, oh, maybe they should have threw the flag. I think, however, this would lead to a similar situation that we see where if a play is anywhere near the end zone and it might be a touchdown or he might have had two feet in, they'll call it a touchdown and then they'll go to review it And the fallacy we run into here, or the paradox, I should say, is, well, it's got to be irrefutable evidence to overturn, which is a good approach. But when you combine the fact that referees are told, make it a touchdown so you can review it, it's kind of unevenly weighted towards the offense, no? Like, if you're told to make it a touchdown to review it, and then you get there and you go, eh, I don't know. Well, you called it a touchdown. It's like, yeah. You told me to. That's my job. You told me to call it a touchdown so I could get another look. I think we might run into a situation where everything is going to be roughing the passer, 
And unless it's blatantly not roughing the passer, they're going to keep the flag. And that's something I think we'd want to avoid. Uh, Eagles proposing allowing number zero on NFL jerseys. Yeah, why not? Sure. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. It's, it, it'll sell you more jerseys. Yeah, go for it. Cool. Why not? Um, additionally, another one that was proposed, I believe this was also by the Eagles, was adding tenths of seconds to the clock in under 30 second situations in each half. So it would be the second quarter and the fourth quarter. Uh, I like it. I like it. I would say, why stop at 30 seconds? Why not make it the whole minute? Right? The NBA has the whole minute. Why can't we do that? I mean, we have the technology, people. Why why not do it the whole minute? I think that's interesting. I think, why not? Um, I don't see a downside, if I'm being frank with you. I don't know if you need to impose rules like the NBA. The NBA has, you need .3 seconds to get a jump shot off. I don't think the NFL would need that, right? If there's .1 on the clock when you got the timeout in, you could snap the ball. Go for it. Like, why not? Sure. Um, could be interesting. Could be a little bit of undue stress on the timekeepers and on the referees, but that's the job. What do you want me to tell you? Right? Uh, additionally, we had another one discussing the banning of the rugby scrum. I think we've waited on this on this show before. Uh, if we did and you remember, apologies because I'm about to do it again. I think, and I had an idea in the last month here. I'm not a big fan of it because it seems relatively unstoppable, right? And then people make the argument, well, Tom Brady's good at the QB sneak. Yeah, but that's a one guy, right? Jalen Hurts would probably be tremendous at the QB sneak by himself, and now he's getting pushed. So my thing would be if this would be my change, right? It used to be illegal, my understanding is, prior to, what, decade plus ago, to push a ball carrier like that from the back. Something like that. How about If you are going to push a ball carrier, they cannot be the person that received the snap. Now, perhaps this would not do the job. Perhaps the Eagles would then snap the ball shotgun to, or, you know, pistol, to the fullback who hands it to Hertz, and then Hertz still does the same thing. Maybe. But, considering how unstoppable the play looked, the Eagles were converting like an 80-plus percent clip. 90%, I believe, at one point, if not the end of the season. It needs to be... I don't know, put it this way, I don't know schematically as a defense how you can stop it. So, and look, I'm far from, you know, John Madden or any of the Tom Flores or any of the great minds in the NFL history. I, you know, I'm not Bill Walsh. But I haven't heard anyone speak publicly on, oh, this is how you stop it. It's just this simple. And you'd think with the amount of coaches in the media, it would be pretty easy to get one person to talk into a camera and say, oh, it's so easy to stop. No. I think that the addition of the person receiving the snap cannot be pushed from behind is highly specific and would allow for this to be a pretty easy thing to resolve, right? It would explicitly be an anti-Philadelphia Eagles rule, if we're being frank, but obviously any imposition on this would be an anti-Philadelphia Eagles rule. That's clear. So I don't think this would be any different than anything else you're going to impose, I think simply allowing it to be, you can push from behind, but it can't be the person that took the snap. I think that will buy the defense a smidgen of time, and that will at least give you, you know, it'll also give you plausible deniability of, well, you know what, we tried to make a rule, and let's see what happens. And then if the Eagles still go out and convert at 90%, you throw your arms up and you say, I don't care, go play defense. 
which is completely fine. But as is, I think there might need to be some intervention. That's just me. Call it New York bias. Call it whatever bias. Call it bias against the Eagles. I don't care. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. One team having an undue advantage because their quarter. Look, and that's the thing, too. Jalen Hurts would be tremendous at just the normal quarterback sneak. But you're adding in people shoving it from behind, and that's where it gets weird. And I spoke on this show during the regular season. I think the referees were letting plays go too long. Because there was so much of shoving people from the back, they might have to ban it all together. I think that's a little extreme, but some of these plays just keep going and going and going. And you get rugby scrums. And realistically, depending on how pure you want to take this here, this sport is not rugby. It wasn't designed to be rugby. And it's not 1958, guys. Like, it's... I've heard... I think there was an anonymous coach or executive. It's not an entertaining play. It's not a pretty play. It is what it is. Not all of football needs to be entertaining and pretty. Don't get me wrong. In fact, the the sport as a whole is realistically usually not those two things. Those are not the words I would use. However, something like this doesn't really seem to fit in my opinion. So... That'll bring us pretty much to the end of the standout seven. Take a look at the news and notes here. Yeah, that's pretty much it here. We've got uh, Austin Eckler requested a trade. That's kind of big news. He'd be a good fit damn near anywhere. And Jamal Williams has gone to Detroit now. How about ship him off to Detroit? That could work after extension talks failed with the Chargers, which is kind of shocking to me. Uh, great player. Johnu Smith went to Atlanta. I knew, I knew he went somewhere. Uh, good for Johnu. I think... He's still got some in the tank. I can't believe it didn't work out in New England. I don't know. Good player. Um, Kenny Galladay finally released by the New York Giants. That's big news, obviously. Uh, Joe Mixon involved in some trouble off the field. We'll let that play out. We don't got to talk about that this month. We're pushing near the end here, folks. Um, Some big contract extension talks coming soon. Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Obviously, Lamar Jackson's still ongoing. We'll get to that next month. No real big developments there. So that'll bring us to the end of this month's episode, folks. Episode number 164. Can you believe we made it this far? So the NFL draft is April 27th through April the 29th. I'm debating if we're going to do the next episode the weekend of the draft, perhaps. Maybe we'll do it that Sunday, right? Cap it off, draft recap right then and there, which would be April 30th. Or the following one, we try to do one a month, so we really don't want to push into May. We'll see. Uh, As of right now, we're targeting the draft weekend. Probably the 30th, maybe the 29th. To do episode number 165, we'll do some draft recap. We'll break down the compensation for Aaron Rodgers' trade, which hopefully will be done by then, and if it's not, Maybe I'll have to go into a darkness retreat and become a little bit of a prophet and tell you what happened. Uh, Either way, if you joined us first time or your 164th time, I appreciate you truly, uh, especially in an off-season episode. We know it's baseball season coming up, NBA ramping towards the playoffs, NHL ramping towards the playoffs. Appreciate you all. Um, Thanks for joining us. As always, Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.